Over the past few broadcasts, we've spent time here in the book of Titus, taking a look at what a church should look like from a governmental point of view and a leadership point of view. Once we've gotten that all laid out, we then move on to see what developing a healthy church would look like. And that's what we continue to do here in Titus chapter 2. Join us. This is Graceful Truth from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, for today's broadcast, coming up next. A healthy church. Indeed, as we have seen over the past few Sundays, a healthy church involves a healthy leadership. We've taken a look through the eyes of Paul here as he has written the book of Titus to find out what a healthy leadership in a church looks like. Some general observations we'll cover today are the legitimate age and gender distinctions within the church and the interaction that's to take place within the church family. Join us for today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. We'll turn your hearts over to God's Word as we open up Titus. We're going through our study of the book of Titus, a wonderful little uh, book that Paul penned to his letter to his uh, uh, brother in the faith, uh, disciple Titus. Paul wrote this, and he really wanted um, Titus to be instructed in the essential things that uh, a young pastor, a young uh, ministry leader would need at this time, this stage in ministry. And so uh, we turn our hearts to God's Word this morning, Titus chapter 2. Let me read for you uh, out of God's Word as you follow along in your personal copy. Uh, Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing and not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. One thing you notice when you go through the uh, supermarket line, as you're standing in line waiting to be checked out, you're just bombarded with magazine covers of what look like beautiful people. You have beautiful faces, beautiful bodies, and you're, you're standing there and you're going, wow, these people are just incredibly gifted in their beauty. They look healthy. Sometimes they don't. <laughs> some of those magazines run some pretty shoddy pictures of people too. But see, there's a, there's a, there's a thing in our culture today that kind of pushes and really has gone crazy after health, after beauty. There's nothing wrong with being beautiful. There's nothing wrong with being healthy. But there's a health and a, a beauty that goes beyond just the outward appearance, beloved. I'm talking about the health and the beauty of a person's inner soul, a person who develops godliness in their character, in their inner heart. When we come to chapter 2 here, I think Paul wants Titus to understand 
that God intends for each person in the body of Christ to develop like and follow after Christ-like character. And also that kind of a, a character hopefully conducts itself in a way that's honoring to the Lord so that his glory is not lost or misinterpreted by a misdirected world. When we look at the church, the description of the church throughout the Bible, one description of the church is we're called the bride of Christ. I remember on my wedding day, our wedding day, and I'm sure you can think back on yours, when they opened the doors in the back of the church and you looked back and you saw your lovely bride and you thought, wow, I'm blessed. <laughs> Look at this. You got a beautiful dress on. Hairs, everything just seemed perfect. Now, if that wasn't your experience, I apologize. <laughs> Maybe I'm bringing up bad memories. I don't know. But when you think of a bride, you think of somebody who's elegantly dressed and beautiful. And see, that's what the church should be. The church should be developing as a healthy, beautiful bride of Christ. And corporately, we should be displaying the splendor of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, In Ephesians 5.27, it describes us, the church, as His bride. And it says, He is committed to presenting us. And it says in Ephesians 5.27, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she, the the bride, would be holy and blameless. See, instead of growing more wrinkled over time, (laughs) the church grows less wrinkled, or it should. As you know, uh, it often takes a lifetime to build a good reputation. It really does. But you know what? That good reputation, even though it took a lifetime to build, can be lost with one single Stupid, foolish action on our part. It's difficult to recover from something like that. I mean, you look at the church over the years, and you know we don't need to go on and go into all the details of all the the the, uh, reputation of certain preachers who really tainted the Christian church in America. The scandals that rocked not just the Protestant church but the Catholic church as well. And see, the American unbelieving public doesn't distinguish between evangelicals and and Catholics. They just say, yeah, they're all Christians. And they think that Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. And that gives them, that kind of behavior that's flawed and sinful, gives them an excuse to reject Christ. Many unbelievers justify themselves saying, you know what, I I may have my own faults, but at least I'm not a child molester. At least I'm not bilking innocent people out of their money so that I can live in luxury. At least I don't pretend to be religious like these hypocrites do. That's, that's what's in their mind. That's what they're thinking. And so the enemy damages the reputation of the gospel, the reputation of Christ, through a church that does not live in accord with how God has called us to live. So Paul writes Titus in chapter 2, and he begins, and he, he wants Titus to understand that the church should develop into a healthy, beautiful body so as to attract unbelievers to the Savior, not repel them. The theme of the church's witness to the world is mentioned. Just look in our text in verse 5. It says, so the word of God will not be reviled, or the word is dishonored. Down in verse 8, same chapter, Titus 2, Paul tells Titus that his speech must be beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. And he mentions it again, even down in verse 10. 
talking to slaves, he says, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. In other words, we should live lives in accord with the gospel to our calling so that we point people to the Savior, not repel them away. Well, how does the church develop into this kind of healthy body? How does the church develop into a church that that attracts people to Christ rather than repels them? I mean, if I had to sum it up in two words, I would say sound doctrine. It's sound doctrine. It's sound teaching. That's why Paul mentions it in verse 1. He says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. He he mentions it again in verse 7. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity. He mentions it again in verse 10. He says that they may adorn the doctrine of God and Savior. See, we have to believe in our heart of hearts as believers. 2 Timothy, 2, or 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says all Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God. It comes out, breathed out by God, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God is complete, equipped for every good work. That's what we're called to. And so Paul here in Titus chapter 2, he focuses basically on five groups in the church. He focuses on older men. He focuses on older women. He focuses on younger women, younger men, and then also slaves or servants. Now before we get into the text, I couldn't help but notice that there's some general observations here. First of all, there are legitimate age and gender distinctions within the church. There are legitimate age and and gender distinctions within the church. Paul has different counsel, beloved, for different age groups. He has different counsel for men and for women. He doesn't lump everybody into the same category. Oh, you're all just the body of Christ and I'm just going to tell you all. No. He breaks it out. Our modern day society would kind of rail against that. They don't appreciate that. They want a unisex society where there's no gender distinctions in society. And even some churches have kind of embraced that to some degree. Here in San Francisco, you have small children that can choose which bathroom they want to use depending on their own sexual preference, which is, I mean, you wonder how that's going to work out for them. It's just crazy. Now, it's true that there are, distinct, there are no distinctions regarding salvation. Galatians 3.28 clearly teaches that there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, in regard to salvation. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's true. But there are distinctions. Men are to be loving leaders in both the church and the home. Women are to be subject to their own husbands. Ephesians chapter 5, 22 to 23 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as in the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Even over in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, that they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see a respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning just be external, the braiding of the hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, 
or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. See, it should help us to understand. It, it, it should not need to be said that God created us male and female. That's what he said. If you're created male, you don't seek a sex change operation to become a female and vice versa. Men basically should be masculine. Women should be feminine. God designed the sexes to complement one another. There shouldn't be any competition in that realm. Men should affirm the value of of women, and women should affirm the God-given role and strengths of men. So we're to relate to different ages and genders in appropriate ways. Paul points that out actually in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. He says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, and to the younger men as brothers, and the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. So there is distinctions within the body of Christ. There's male, there's female, there's different age groups, and, and Paul addresses that. But I also want to say this. There is to be interaction, not complete separation among those different age groups in the church and the family of God. I mean, the church is is referred to as the family of God. And in that family, we share different ages. We share different genders. The older have wisdom, the Bible tells us. They have experience. They should desire to impart that to those who are younger The younger have idealism, energy, enthusiasm. Hopefully they can encourage the older. See, having older folks and younger folks together, I think, is is a good thing. But it also can create some tension sometimes. See, God's design is that we learn to live in harmony and we learn to live from one another. I mean, that's one reason why we have one service here. And if we had two services, it would be the same service repeated. Some churches choose to have what they call a traditional service for the older people, and they have all hymns and a choir and big pipe organ. And then they have a service for younger people, and all the younger people come in, and they'll have the the praise band and some of the younger songs and no hymns. That was a fad for a while. I remember when we first came to Grace, I talked to a local pastor, and he said, well, what are you going to do for worship? And I said, well, we just do worship. What do you mean? Oh, well, we're, we're, we're going to have two services now. We're going to have a traditional and a contemporary. I'm like, why would you do that? He goes, well, what do you guys do? I said, well, we just kind of do both. Oh, you can't do that. Why not? <laughs> Who says you can't do that? Well, you can't sing a hymn and then sing a contemporary song. It confuses the people. <laughs> Who cares whether it's traditional or contemporary, that's irrelevant. It's, it's more what's the message behind it. I remember him laughing and telling me, yeah, yeah, try that, see how that works out for you. I saw him 12 years later and I said, actually, it's working out pretty good for us. It's good to have the body of Christ together, beloved. It's good to come together so that we can worship together and, and the style of music is not the issue. Younger people need to learn some of the hymns that are rich in doctrine. 
Older people need to learn some of the newer songs. Now, I'm not saying that you don't have special ministries for certain age groups. Maybe you have a young couples class or whatever. If there's certain needs they have, that's fine. But on Sunday morning, our worship service should be one that is made up of all ages, all genders, corporately. The text clearly shows that older believers have a responsibility to impart principles of practical Christian living to younger believers. So, yes, we're made up of various ages, various genders, but there should be interaction. There should be not separation. Thirdly, there are different opportunities and different weaknesses and temptations at different stages in life. When you think about this, younger people often have more energy and enthusiasm to devote to ministry. But you know what? If they have young children at home and busy careers, they may not have a lot of time. After your kids are out of the nest, you're going to have more time. But you're going to have less energy. (laughs) See, there's never a perfect time. You have to gear your life to that particular phase that you are in. Don't just use it as an excuse for non-commitment. Some pastors neglect their families for the sake of the ministry and end up losing their families at the cost of a ministry. Some couples neglect their marriages when their little children are there at home. The child rules the roost. Everything's focused on the child, the child, the child. Well, there's going to come a day, beloved, when that child is gone, and the two of you are going to look at each other and say, who are you? (laughs) We've been focusing on the child so much, we forgot about each other. Don't allow that to happen. Even older people have a temptation. They've worked 50, 60 years. They're in retirement. Now they can do whatever they want. They spend their days the way they want to spend them. They do what they want to do, feeling that somehow they're entitled to that. What a blessing it would be to be able to retire from full-time employment only to serve the Lord on a more full-time basis. Maybe you like to travel. Maybe you go to different countries and serve the Lord through mission trips. Who knows what God has for you. But each stage in life has a unique opportunity as well as a temptation. And we have to be careful with that. Well, With those general observations, let's look at our text beginning in verse 1. I think the first thing that we need to grow into a healthy, sound church is just what it says there. Sound doctrine is the foundation of godly living. He says, but as for you, he's contrasting Titus with the false teachers that we talked about in in chapter 1. He describes him in verses 10 to 16. He tells us, Paul tells Titus that these false teachers were rebellious. They're empty talkers. They're deceivers. They upset whole families. For basic greed, sordid gain, the almighty dollar. They taught Jewish myths and fables and even the commandments of men rather than the truth of God's word. It says in verses 15 to 16 that they were speculative, unbiblical. And that kind of teaching does not lead to godliness. It doesn't lead to good deeds. And so he says, by contrast, Titus, I want you to understand, you should speak or teach the things that are fitting, the things that are proper for sound doctrine. That word teach or speak there refers not only to just formal teaching, but also to everyday conversation. So this is very practical, 
Sound doctrine means teaching that produces spiritual health, growth. It's like eating good food. If you eat junk food, what's going to happen? It's going to mess you up. If you eat good food, then you're going to benefit from it. And Paul uses this word sound nine times in his pastoral epistles. So he obviously thought it was pretty important that sound doctrine be taught. He uses it five times in Titus, chapter 1, verses 9, 13, chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 8. He also uses it in First and Second Timothy. Now, it's very important to understand that when he uses it back in verse 9, it says he must hold firm to, trustworthy, to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. When he speaks in that frame... He's talking about the idea of teaching sound doctrine and refuting whatever is erroneous. But when he comes to verse 1 of chapter 2, it seems that it, it kind of changes. The flavor changes a little bit. And he, he wants us to know that there's a, a practical side to sound doctrine. There's a practical application to knowing what is right. And Paul always does that in his epistles. He always brings together the idea of sound doctrine with practical Christian living. I mentioned last week, if you read the first three chapters of Ephesians, it's doctrine. And then he jumps into how do you apply that doctrine in the last three chapters of Ephesians. Paul always brings those together. To have sound doctrine without practice is basically just dead religion, dead orthodoxy. But to have practice without the foundation of sound doctrine is just human moralism. It's just trying to do the right thing. So we need to understand who God is and who we are, and we need to understand God's way of salvation as revealed to us in the Scriptures. And as a result, that provides for us a proper foundation for holy living. I mean, stop and think about it. If you understand God's omnipresence, that God is everywhere all the time. If you understand God's omniscience, that God knows everything from the end to the beginning, from the beginning to the end, it will really affect how you relate to your family at home when no one's around. It will affect the way you live when, when you're all by yourself. Because you're not really by yourself. God is there right with you, right beside you. He sees everything you're doing. So, sound doctrine is very practical. And then he begins to list for us here in verse 2 these different age groups that we talked about. And the first one is older men. And he says, older men should be godly as to attract others to the Savior. Now, this list here is not comprehensive. In other words, there's not every Christian virtue listed here. He's just kind of practically throwing some things out to us. The term older men is obviously relative. <laughs> Paul used it of himself when he was in his 60s. And the fact that Paul lists these qualities for older men to have shows that they're not automatically developed just because you get older. This isn't something that just happens when you get older, when you mature. No, it's something that has to be worked on. These are kind of checklists for us to check off. If you're an older person here today and these qualities do not describe you, then you know what? You need to focus on it. You need to go before the Lord and say, wow, that's a good point. I need to look at that area of my life. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. 
and we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.